You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. This is episode number 97. And today we're going to be talking about public land hunting ethics. But before we do that, let's introduce our esteemed co-host. What's up, Jake? Oh, not a lot, not a lot. What are you up to, dude? Just jumping on a podcast, just the weekly podcast. My hey. favorite, my favorite thing that we get to do during the week, besides make hilarious videos on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Dude, your last TikTok video was was nice. Like, Did you like I, that? <laughs> I didn't know you posted anything, and uh, this morning I got on there and and uh, I just clicked on our profile, just kind of look at all the numbers, like how, how everything's doing and stuff. And, uh, that one went off and like in the little thumbnail, I seen the LGBTQ and I was like, Oh no, what did he do? And I listened to it. It was hilarious. Like everything was perfect about it. Like, like your mentality, like it, I don't know. It was funny. It was good. Well, it was good talk. <clears throat> it was funny. Cause I was scrolling through it like 9 PM last night and I saw it basically the the little question thing that you can like do a video reply to said mm-hmm. do you support lgbtq and this guy had like made one about lettuce bacon tomato like some sandwich and i was like dude you could do this with you could do this with hunting oh it was perfect it said do you support large big bucks totally quartering and i was like yeah but i prefer them broadside and mm-hmm. But literally 40 minutes before or 40 minutes after I posted, I was about to go to bed and I just clicked on TikTok one more time and it had 18,000 views. And I was like, oh, people, other people find this funny, too. (laughs) Yeah, I I enjoyed making that one. I love making those stupid ones. Those are the most fun. Those are the ones you don't catch lip from. You actually try to be factual and and people's like, no, BS. It's just like, listen, this isn't my this isn't my research. This is like Bronson Strickland or or. whatever the other dude at Missouri state or Mississippi state is, uh, it's like, it's like you're arguing with him, not me. I love that. When we take like data from the national deer association with long-term studies, and then we put it on TikTok, and people are like, that's not true. My dad said, or my grandpa yeah, said, yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> well, your grandpa's wrong. <laughs> uh, it's fine. It's yeah. Fine. Anyways, we're going to be starting a new series on the podcast. I think it was going to be seven or eight weeks, and we're going to call it Public Land Hunting 101. And kind of the goal with the series is we're going to take you from start to finish of what it takes to hunt white-tailed deer on public land. Uh, But like I said today, what we're going to talk about is hunting ethics. We're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about what to expect, um, how to act on public, and then what not to do when hunting public land, but I did want to briefly give you guys a look into the other topics that we're going to discuss, and these aren't necessarily in any order, but we're going to also, with hunting ethics, we're going to talk about map scouting, uh, finding a piece of land and understanding regulations, boots on the ground scouting, trail camera strategy, and time for the hunt, what to expect, what to bring, those sort of things. So it's going to be a multi-week series, and we're going to hopefully cover all you guys need to know start to finish on how to hunt whitetail on public land. Jake, what was the framing that you wanted to talk about? Like if someone has been kicked off their private piece or they just lost their lease or what's the, what's the framing we want to put around this? Yeah. So you especially have, have gone through that, like your private that you used to hunt on in Northeast Oklahoma, 
uh, it got sold out from under you and it became a industrial chicken farm. Mm-hmm. At that point, you didn't know where, like where to go, what to do. And of course I really don't have that much land that, that I have the ability to just be like, Oh yeah, come on, come on over hunt here. And so that basically left us with one option and that was public. And the thinking here is what, like whatever state you're from, you probably have a piece of public somewhere you can hunt within your area. And so whether you've had the same situation that you've gone through, whether you, you got basically kicked off your piece of public or a lease got, you know, leased out from under you or your hunting club or whatever uh, got too political for your taste. There's somewhere for you to go, but before you go there, it's basically like a one-on-one what to kind of expect and just being completely blunt, completely short. There's different ethics. I, I've never joined a hunting club, but it being super political, political and stuff like that. Like, Hey, you can only hunt here in this stand. You can only have like two stand locations. I assume that's what occurs in those types of places. You don't really have to do that in public. And we're just kind of hopefully going to tell you the do's and don'ts. For sure. And I do want to tell you that I can relate to a lot of you people that are listening that have had private or and can't hunt it anymore. I've and was it 20? It was either I think it was 2019 or 2020. I realized there was not a single piece of private acre that I had to hunt, not in Oklahoma, not in Texas. And we luckily we had some public land experience to draw from and some places to kind of start. But there was a, a period in time where you and I didn't have much private to hunt at all. Mm-hmm. And sole access to private is is still a no. There isn't a single piece of private that we don't lease that we have sole access to, which is what we'd want. So we can relate to a lot of you guys. And public land has been something that we've been able to implement and actually kill our biggest deer off of, which is kind of hilarious because really? it, it's been our best hunting too. So. It doesn't have to be a doom and gloom if you lose your private or you're kicked out of your hunting club or whatever it is. Uh, there's there's somewhere for you to go. And sometimes, even if you don't get kicked off your piece of private or your lease or whatever it may be, you can probably find areas that have less pressure on the piece of public than you do on your private land because that was my case. Isn't that funny? That's it that works. It's crazy because normally from like – before people really hunt public and a lot of podcasts I've listened to, people always have the same mindset, like going into it. It's just like, Oh man, public is basically a poor man's game. Like it's just a war zone. Uh, there's not really big deer, all this stuff. Like a lot of podcasts I listen to same mindset. Well, that's not true. Some cases it might be true, but for the most part, from what we we've experienced, we're going to get into all that during the series. Starting off with hunting ethics, uh, Jake, let's talk about the first one. What does someone need to expect on when they're starting to hunt public land, and how is public different from private, in your opinion? Well, the difference between public and private, as you can probably tell, is private, that's only you know a limited amount of people have access to that, sometimes. And then the public, everybody owns it. If you have a... Or even if you don't have a hunter safety card or uh, what am I trying to say? A tag, hunting a license. license. Yeah, hunting license. Uh, everybody owns the land, so you. Be, I mean, you. It's 
Taxpayer? Yeah, literally. It's a resource that you have to share. You don't own any more of it than the next guy. So, I mean, if you own a piece of private or if you have permission to a piece of private, I mean, you can kind of, depending on how well you know the owner or how closely related you are, or even if you are the private landowner, like you have full say sometimes over that piece. Well, this isn't the case. So you just kind of, you really got to wrap your head around that because there's going to be times where uh, you might run into somebody or some someone might be parked in a parking spot that you were going to. And it's just, you know, tough luck. Yeah, that's true. You talked about it a little bit before. Um, a lot of people think that public land is a war zone and it's going to be eight trucks in every single parking spot. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not as well. We've been able to alleviate pressure because uh, on our private pieces, let's just say a private piece that I hunt, there might be a hundred acres and me, my dad, my two brothers, my uncle, all of us hunt that hundred acres, right? But on public, you get a lot more access to bigger pieces of land, at least where we hunt in Oklahoma. We can find some hundred thousand acre pieces and you can alleviate a lot of pressure by hunting public. So in, in some ways it can be, it can be better from, from that perspective. I like, I don't know, I, I've really enjoyed hunting public and it hasn't been nearly as bad uh, as far as pressure goes as, as what I kind of thought it would be. Also, if you look at it from like a QDMA standpoint or a NDA, I don't know what you call it nowadays, but uh, yeah, if you look at it from their standpoint, like uh, our friend Jake Ayers, for example, they're like really strong into the, the uh, NDA program, right? Like they don't shoot deer under four and a half and what's the mindset behind them? Cause I don't, I don't really know. Like what's their set of rules? Yeah. <clears throat> so that they had a big, they had a really strict uh, program for I think five years where they didn't shoot any deer that were under six and a half years old. And then they moved it down to, to five and a half, which is probably a little bit more fun for everybody hunting. And then uh, that you can shoot a four and a half year old deer if it's an eight point or smaller. So any deer with more than eight points has to be five and a half years old before they harvest it. Yeah. So uh, if you come from a place like that and you have that mindset, it's almost like a breath of fresh air after you go into public and you're like anything that, that excites me, I can shoot and no one can say a dang thing about it because that's kind of also the thing I ran into. Like it sounds, I want to kind of throw myself under the bus here, but, and it sounds awful of me because, you know, we're always like trying to preach, Oh, you know, whatever, whatever gets your boat going, you know, shoot it. Well, before we primarily started hunting public, the piece of private that I still hunt today, sometimes, you know, you have your brothers that hunt it. And kind of like you said, like there's, there's quite a bit of acreage there, but only maybe 50 acres of that is huntable. Mm -hmm. If that, and uh, so like me kind of further along in my hunting journey than let's say my brothers or their wives or their kids or something like that, I try to hold off for a little bit better age class, a little bit better score. And so those deer that I pass or I, you know, if it's closer to the rut, I try not to shoot a doe just, you know, because you, you don't want to mess the area up by, by, going through the bedding area if we even have one and uh, tracking it up and blowing everything out of there. Like I, I, I don't want that. Uh, I know it's not good for the mature bucks 
So if I pass one, they go out, they shoot what their biggest deer is. And let's say it's only like 110, 100, you know, I don't want to say 120 because that sounds like entitled, but uh, yeah, they go and shoot that. And then like in the back of your mind, you're like upset. And it's just like, you want to be happy for them. And to a certain extent you are. And then it's just like, okay, well, at least next year they'll, they'll, you know, maybe hold off for a bigger one. And then the next year they end up shooting one either the same size or smaller. And you're just thinking, man, you know, you, you just get in that mindset. And sooner or later it happens so often that, you know, it starts arguments like, and you, you don't even really get excited to go out there. Cause it's like, everything's already blown out. And you jump into this and it's just a whole different mindset. Like if, if they want to go out there and they want to shoot a spike every year, they can do that. And it's no sweat off my back. I don't really know if this gets kind of thrown in with the ethics side of things. It's a whole different mindset. It is. It's something that you, we do need to talk about on, on what to expect. I think for a lot of people, public is like what frees them in their deer hunting journey. Like you're saying, like I've shot, for instance, last year I shot probably a three and a half year old buck off public. Would I have even picked my bow off the hanger at my least shoot that bow or that deer? No, I wouldn't have. But on public, that might as well have been a 180 inch deer on how excited oh, yeah. it got me. Oh, and sure. it's just, it's just, it, it, to me, it is a little bit different mindset because we don't have to all share the same standards to enjoy public. There's enough land where we hunt where like you said, somebody shoots a spike and you're not upset about it or it doesn't mess up your season. And the good thing about public too is you can move around too on your private piece. You got what you got, you know, you kind of, if, if you have an 80 acre piece and your brother walks through the middle of it and sits in the middle of the timber on the wrong wind and messes it up, that's all you got on mm-hmm. pro- on public. There's that really happens. no way to move around. Right. On you public, you can get in the truck and drive to the next piece. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, it's just to me it's more adventurous that you get to you get to see these vast landscapes and and hunt them and there's a lot of freedom in hunting public in my opinion i've i've enjoyed it it's kind of reinvigorated my love for bow hunting just because it's it's free you know we can do whatever we want even when we go down there to scout i'm like this is awesome we can walk for for five miles and we're still on the same piece of land you want to talk about what they actually came here for if they clicked on the title ethics wise sure so <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the first first bullet point we had is how to act on public because just like we talked about in private um <clears throat> public and private are different and so you have to bring in a certain or a different set of ethics and a different way of acting if you're hunting public land versus private land because you have to be aware and sensitive to the other people that are hunting this land because the only thing that you're going to do if two of you guys are hunting the same spot or intruding on each other is make sure that both of you guys have a crappy hunt. Yep. So in your mind, Jake, what's the, what, what's some, some good rules or things that you use on how you act on public to make sure that you have a, a good time? Hmm. So the first thing I look for is, is anyone else hunting there? Have I seen anyone else even like if, if I'm going there during the summer, have I seen any cameras there? Have I seen any uh, mineral blocks? Have I seen any trucks parked there? Uh, as I'm walking back there, are there any boot tracks? Just any sort of human sign. That's what I look for. And if 
there is human sign, especially during the summer, then that's the last place you probably want to be come fall. So that would be the first thing. Second thing, ethics-wise, what would you say after that? That's probably the first thing I would look for would be like just kind of like I alluded to is if you if people are running on top of each other, I understand if you're on a small piece of public, right? And you, you mm-hmm. th- you're going to run into each other. That can happen on these uh, OLAP properties or walk-in hunting areas like Kansas ha- like Kansas has. That's going to happen. But if you have a large, vast landscape, like you said, I'm looking for places that other people are not. And that's where I'm going to be. And that's just an ethics thing to me because if t- if there's two or three people in a spot, the deer aren't going to be there anyways. So why would I want to go in there? Yeah. Me and Peyton talked about this yesterday on the phone. It's like, I'm not going to try to, even though you're in a competition with other people on public, like you're fighting for the same resources and the same spots. You can't really have that attitude of if they get it, I'm not going to get one. And so you try to end up competing with them for the spot and all in like similar to what I said earlier, all that does is ensure that both of you guys have a crappy hunt. And so I think you just adhere to the golden rule is treat other people how you want to be treated. I know mm-hmm. we've talked about that on a different episode, but that's kind of where I like to start. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Treat others how you would want to be treated. I mean, you kind of nailed it on the head. If you want to, like, if you don't want people walking up on you, don't be that guy. Like, we hunt, and we've seen people kind of toe the line on getting as close to you as they think they can get without messing you up. And the thing is, if that's Mm -hmm. your mindset when you're going in, you already are losing. That's not a good mindset to have. Yeah, for sure. Because the thing is, is like, we kind of had, okay, Peyton had this happen in the 2020 season, right? Uh, he walked all the way back there. It's like a, like a mile to this spot where where uh, I've been hunting. I tagged out and still great movement over the, like back there. And then we told Carol, we're like, go sit back there. You know, there's a lot more bucks on camera. Movement's great back there for some reason. Try back there. Well, I think his first or second sit heading back there, someone – I don't know what state he was from. He was he was Minnesota, out of state. Minnesota, just yeah. It was it was, oh, Idaho, it was Idaho. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently, a guy followed him back there, and like there there isn't any rhyme or reason why this guy from Idaho should a probably. I mean, I, I don't want to say be that far back because you know, I'm sure there's a lot of hard, hardcore hunters in Idaho, in Idaho, whatever. But this guy trailed Carol probably three to five hundred yards and was just following him to the spot and Carol was able to get up in the tree, uh, get set up. And Carol said, not even probably five, 10 minutes after he was set up, he, he started hearing like walking, like leaves crunching. And he said, after a while, he's like, you can obviously tell it was a human just from the cadence. And the guy was just kind of like walking along, you know, and, and thankfully this was for an evening sit. So he could see, uh, you know, the dude right away, the dude gets probably, I don't know what he say, like 25, 50 yards from Carol and Carol kept like doing little, you know, like little whistle. Yep. And he said at first the guy didn't, you know, kind of hurt him. Didn't know really where it came from. Kept walking in Carol's direction. Uh, you know, a few seconds later, gives him another whistle and the dude looks right up at Carol. Carol kind of, you know, gives him a wave like, Hey, I'm here. And the dude, and I think he said the dude didn't even really look surprised that, I thought he, he threw was, his hands up. 
Oh, like did he? he's kind of pissed off or something. Okay. Well, okay. Let's see. That didn't really help the story now, does it? Because that kind of seems like he didn't know. But he definitely followed because the yeah. reason I say that was because after he threw his hands up, he caught like and he acknowledged Carol was there. He said he walked like what 75, 100 yards, and he just kept kind of walking around, just like basically. I don't know if he's trying to pick a tree or whatever, but in the do's and don'ts of public land hunting, that's something you don't do. Even let's say he didn't follow Carolyn. Hey, you don't want to follow someone into their spot. Uh, because like you said, it just assures that both people have a crappy hunt. And number two, after let's say you didn't follow him in and you ran into somebody just like in, like in Carol's instance right here, Throw your hands up, like that's fine. Emotion happens, you get pissed. Try not to show it because then you don't know how people are nowadays. Like if you show you're pissed, someone might think, "Oh, f that guy for being pissed." I'm gonna go do something about it. So just you know, just give him a wave. If you're super super close, like right under him, hey, how you doing? Sorry about that. You know, like show some sort of like like apology. Be apologetic, even if you're not. And then just turn around, go find somewhere else. And it doesn't have to be a great distance. Like just keep walking another 500 yards down that trail you were walking, you were walking down or just completely go back to your truck and find a new area. I agree. I think we're going to cover some of that more and then what not to do. Uh, but one thing I did want to talk about before we get off the kind of how to act and the golden rule is just because you're on public and you're with people you don't know doesn't mean you can't collaborate with people. It doesn't oh, mean that sure. you can't talk with people. If you meet someone, you guys are both walking on the same trail back there, or let's say you both pull up to the same parking spot and you guys have probably seen it in a lot of the hunting public videos and kind of how they treat people when they run into someone either. There's two options. When I run into that situation, ask the person or show the person where I'm going. So we don't run into each other or just talk and collaborate with them. And if you find out that you're headed to the same place, back out and go to a different spot. This is one of the, this is one of the reasons that we say to have multiple spots is because if you're married to your one spot, you're going to have the kind of the you're temptation. Gonna have yeah. You're going to have heart rate, but you're also going to have the temptation to kind of do something that you wouldn't normally do if you're, if it's your only spot. So yeah, to go along with that, you're going to want to collaborate, like be nice, collaborate, but there's an instance that happened to us last year where this dude tried to collaborate with us, but he was really just trying to find where we were hunting so he could hunt around it is what we thought. And we sound super paranoid when we're like, Oh, he was following us. Oh, he was definitely trying to hunt around us. But do you want to explain the story? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we had a guy pull up uh, where, when we were at camp, was it in October? I think it was. Yeah. I think yeah it was in October. Yeah. Um, he pulls up and, Jake and Peyton kind of thought that he was one of our buddies or I knew him or something. Cause he, he strolled up. Like he was just one of our, like about to get in our tent and sleep with us. Like he was yeah. super nice and that's fine. I, I, I didn't mind that, but he walked up on a piece that is uh, tens of thousands of acres and said, Hey, where are you hunting? I don't want to run into you. And I was like, uh, that's not how this is going to go. I was like, <laughs> where are you hunting? And then I'll tell you if you're close. And he pulled up his map. And he showed me his map and we weren't within three, four miles of each other. And I just said, no, nah, we're good. Like, you're not going to run into me. Mm. And I, I don't know if he was fishing for kind of spots like, hey, if these guys obviously spend some time down here. They're camping and stuff. I'll try to piggyback off them and just get close to them. 
I don't know if that's what he was doing or if he was actually just well intentioned and didn't want to walk it, into me. That just seemed like a really sketchy way to to like trying to be cautious, you know? Exactly. There's better ways to do that. And and that that could go in the how to act section. Don't don't explicitly ask people where to hunt. You know, put in the put in the work with scouting of finding your own places. You don't know how often it is like one of us will shoot a deer. Not that we're just like buck slayers or something, no. but we spend a lot of time down there and one of us will shoot a deer and someone from two camps over will come over and be like, Hey, I'm, you know, I really want to get one. Where should I go? And it's like, I'll try to help you with general information, but I'm not going to give you my spot. And I think some people uh, think that if you're done and you've already shot your bucks, that, uh, that you'll give them your spot. Now, if you're a close buddy, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, if you're just some Joe blow two two campgrounds over, no, no, exactly. Well, I think that's that's good. We can we talked about how to act. Let's talk about what what not to do hmm. on public. I'm trying to think which which story which story to tell first. Um, we've had several. Uh, we talked about the golden rule, and, and it's, how, ma- it's mainly been with turkey hunters. Like like deer hunters are are, are you know pretty knowledgeable. I mean, <laughs> who would have guessed? But uh, Turkey hunters, I don't know what what the deal is with y'all. Yeah, it's it's mainly with turkey hunters. We've had people walk up on us deer hunting, and have, have been kind of toolish about it. But it's mainly turkey hunters. Like we we've been turkey hunting and been set up on a bird before, and had the bird, you know, at sixty yards, gobbling, coming into our decoys. And someone 300 yards on the other side of the winter wheat field saw that that bird was coming into our decoys and started calling and, and started calling really loud. And that bird turned and realized that none of his hens were with him. And he turned and run, ran back to all the hens and we didn't get a shot. And what that person did was ensure that both of us, neither of us got a shot during that time. And they knew that what they did was wrong. So as soon as that bird was gone, they all got up and they walked out the other way. And didn't talk to us at all. So that that's a good example of not what to do. Yeah, that's what we... Oh, never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll be PG. We're good. <laughs> We're good. Um, well, there, there's several other uh, maybe specific examples we could talk about. But with deer hunting, I think it's important. What do you think about people trying to crowd you, Jake? Like, how? what should you not do? What's the distance that you need in between where you feel like you're not messing with somebody? So even if I hunt with like next to you or Carol or something like that, I at least want at least 500 yards separation. And like, that's, that's hunting next to somebody that I trust to do the right thing, not get down, walk around out of their stand, not, uh, well, Carol in this instance, he might get down and like go take a dump, you know, 50 yards away from his tree or whatever. But for the most part, like you're hunting next to people you trust and like 500 yards, I still feel like is like somewhat close, but that's like a good enough gap, especially on public in some of the areas like there's enough terrain uh, to separate us. Yeah. And so you'll see different deer. So it's fine. Uh, but if I don't know somebody or don't know them real well, then I I don't even want if I holler, I don't even want to want you to hear it. Like that's, that, that's about how uh, far away I want to be. And it might sound privileged of like, Oh, you want to get a thousand yards away from somebody. 
Well, in an ideal world, if the resource is there, yeah, I would. Why wouldn't you want to be? I don't want to walk a mile, mile and a half back there just to have a conversation with somebody. I can do that back at camp. Exactly. You know? And and I, I think what's important here, too, is just to realize if you even have to think about it, if you're like, man, I could be a little too close or no, there'll be different deer, then it's probably not the right yeah. situation. Just don't do it. And because literally what I talked about before, the only thing that's going to happen if you guys get too close to each other is you're going to run each other's hunts. So there's no point. You've spent your time. You spent your $4.50 Biden gas getting down there. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, and the thing is, if there's 30,000 acres, let's not be hunting 20, 20 yard, or freaking 120 yards from each other. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's wasting both of our times. Like, uh, we had that kickstand deer. If you haven't seen kickstand, he's in one of our, uh, YouTube scouting videos, uh, yep. stud of there. He's like what? Six, seven years old. Yeah. Yep. We would love to try to hunt that deer, but every single time we drive by during the season or, uh, a lot of, uh, First caught it summer scouting on some trail cameras. We had some little dingleberries walk right in front of our cameras. Some of them waved. Some of them took a camera. And some, some you know, two kids just didn't even notice it. But uh, that being said, we would love to hunt that that deer. But us personally, we're not going to go try to go find that deer. We're not going to go try to compete with the amount of people. And, uh, I mean, A – if you go from the Don Higgins strategy, like you want to be far away from people as you can, H- human intrusion is not the way to go. So you mix that with uh, people could be possibly walking around or, you know, already been there. So they're since blown every deer out of the, out of that area. Like you just don't want to do that. Now we might send, if a buddy wants like a, uh, I don't want to say acquaintance, but like Tom and uh, Jake and, Oh, Hunter's, uh, yeah, that's the name. Hunter went with us. We sent Tom back there because, you know, he hadn't been there, but it's a spot, you know, we're kind of confident in, but we just don't want to compete. We'll send someone else in there, but us personally, we're not going to hunt in there. Yeah. So. No, exactly. I, I don't think there's any point in competing. Like obviously on public land, anyone can go anywhere. And so from that sense, it is a competition, but at the same time, Let's just, I think there is a way to be ethical and be a good steward and make sure that everyone has a good hunting experience by leaving each other alone. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like some people in, I always take it back to turkey hunters. Now that I think about it, like there'll be a, you'll sit down. Like a good example is when we went turkey hunting and we had a bird on the roost and we knew people were, these people knew we were hunting this bird on the roost. And they walked 25 yards behind us, set up 50 yards from us. And they ensured that we didn't, they walked in at daylight. So yeah. they ensured that yeah. neither of us got that bird. Parked like 200 yards away from that spot. Yeah. That's the thing. It is. All they did was ensure that neither of us got that bird. And to me, it's not worth uh, getting a, getting an animal, unless we're talking about just a world-class deer here, it's not worth messing up somebody's hunt for me. Well, how would you think about that? Even let's say for some for some odd stupid reason, that bird like after you said fifty yards behind someone who you knew was already calling that bird who was striking them up. Since you probably got out of the truck, they they heard us striking that deer up or that deer that bird up. Right. So yeah, 100%. like, 
let's say in a in a strange world you were able to sneak in at daylight 50 yards behind a bird that's already goblin already has his attention in our direction let's say that thing pitches down in front of you or pitches down goes in front of you at your decoy it saw you set up and you shoot that bird how would you feel after harvesting that bird like every time you know every time you show a buddy a picture of that bird or you have that fan on your wall you're like, oh yeah, I basically ruined a guy's opportunity for that bird. I like, I think that's no better than uh, wait until midnight, two a.m., spotlighting a deer out in the pasture and shooting it. I, I think some people are okay with that. Yeah, but that's that's goes into ethics. Like, you but anyone that's set of ethics, anyone that's listening to us, that's not what we want to impart on you guys is to to be that kind of person because. Nothing, no, no animal is worth doing that to another person. Well, and you got to think everybody that that's hunting that public is in probably, probably in the same boat. Like they might have private back home they can hunt or they might just be hunting public for fun. But you all are in the same boat. You all are, you all have the same mindset. You have the same goal uh, to try to harvest something. Your, your uh, standards might be different and that's okay. And that's a beautiful thing about it. But the thing is, is you all have a certain goal. It might just be to enjoy nature and be out there. And if you get a deer, that's a bonus. I think that's a lot of people's goal. I'd say that's our goal. But anymore, it just seems like, hey, you know, we, you know, if, hate to say it, but if you don't see something, we're kind of in that like mindset where it's like, man, that's kind of a bad hunt. But nonetheless, that's everybody's goal. So like if you're doing that, it just ruins someone else's hunt. And so. I mean, and it makes it not fun. So, and I think there's nothing better than when you, I, I want to say a campground full of people, but I don't really like a campground full of people. But if everybody's getting along in your campground, like let's say we met Clayton. What if we were a dick to Clayton? Clayton's a great guy. He's a funny guy. And mm-hmm. you know, if you got stuck on one of those roads that, and, and if he pulled up, even if he had a smaller truck than you, he would, he would, he would rip his back bumper off to try to get you out. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're like, you just don't make these type of friendships. You just, you, you just ruin the experience for everybody. And it could be a beautiful thing. It absolutely can. And the thing is, is if I, if I walk in a parking or if I pull up in a parking spot and Clayton's parked there, guess who's, guess who's hunt that is that morning. It's going to be Clayton's. I ain't, exactly. I'm not going to mess with them. And so I just think it's important to just abide by the golden rule and just treat people how you want to be treated. I think if we all did that, we, you know, naturally we're going to walk up on each other. We're going to mess up each other's hunts every once in a while, but let's not do it on purpose. That's just what we're trying to say here. You can hate it, but just hate it, hate it internally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you ready to move into some Q and a, let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Um, all right. So we got a. you want to start with a funny one or a serious one? We've got two questions this week. When are you lighting up the mood? Okay, let's start. Let's start up. With, let's start up with a funny one. Okay. So, if for you guys that are listening that don't understand what we're doing right now, this is our bonus Q and A segment. Jake and I do it every time that we jump on the podcast together. And this these questions come directly from a video we post every week on TikTok. So, if you guys want to get in on the questions and have them answered on the podcast, make sure to go give us a follow on the TikTok. So, this one comes from our buddy Huntworks. He says, "What's your snack plans for the fall? Mm. The essentials, all caps, for the pack." What do you got for him? Uh-huh. 
Don't say you're you're intermittent fasting when you're in the stand either. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. That's dude falls when I gain the most weight. Uh, I would probably absolutely an energy drink. And if it ain't an energy drink, it's one of those like little caffeine packets you put in a bottle of water. Caffeine key. That's key. Uh, but other than that, probably a. I'd probably say one of those chocolate paydays. Okay. Those things are buffing. Yeah, they're buffing. They're buffing. I would have to say, so just to put it into context, when you're hunting public land like we do for our annual public land long week hunt, or yeah, week-long hunt in uh, in November, first week of November, what we do is we get, how many do we buy? Like 80 energy oh, drinks? Oh, dude, so uh, I was the one that, that was fortunate enough to go to Walmart and uh, – gather all the things of course we split the uh split the cost three ways and uh via venmo i was fortunate enough we got like eight eight uh two four packs of, of those rain energy drinks like two or three different flavors and then we got oh like a lot of red bull like two or three packs of red bull we got a couple bangs like dude v8. we were loaded yeah the, the v8 energies anything that had caffeine in it we had and it's such a necessity, dude. I can't, I can't stress that enough. It is. You're going to feel like crap the week after, but the thing is, is you just got to make it through that week. So exactly. When I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm drinking at least one Red Bull on the way to the stand and I'm putting another one in the pack. Yeah. And, uh, and that's funny because I actually shot my buck last year with a Red Bull, like literally in between my feet. <laughs> so if that gives you any, any like sense of how how serious i am about the red bulls but for food dude one of the best things that i like love in the stand is those pop tart bites so like the mini mm, pop tarts okay. like the little circular look like a half dollar almost i mm. will smash like three packs of those those things are just too dry for me you know like it makes you drink the drink faster like i don't know they're just not enough like it ain't it ain't wet enough i don't know mm, you like, like something moist yeah i like i like the moist stuff uh, but no, see, I, I think with all the energy drinks, we're just trying to get in the same mindset as a rutting buck, you know, cause like, it's like delusional. It doesn't know what's going on half the time. And it's just like, it's just so exhausted. That's us in the stand. Like mm -hmm. we just, we just sweat. Like we got sweat dripping out, like our shirts soaked in the back, uh, mainly from carrying a climber. Hopefully that changes this season. Uh, so like we're all sweating, like, we're just like, this sucks. And then all of a sudden we see the tree and it's just like, there's a tree light at the end of the tunnel besides setting up all that all that junk news on six camera gear and stuff but i think that's like the equivalent of a buck seeing a doe and heat you know like like that standing estrus you know it's like hey come and get me that's me when i see the tree i'm like we almost made it but uh yeah so you put a little bit of that caffeine in and get you juiced up it's almost like the uh like the energy drink when i get in the tree is like a reward like I yeah. sit down and I'm like, <laughs> That's I'm like, ah, you did good work today, son. Yeah. And I just like start drinking my energy drink. I'm like, this is amazing, but no crap. No crap. We, we probably drink three or four a day. Like, I mean, it, it's there. extremely unhealthy, but you know, if you don't only, like if you're unhealthy for a week at a time, I'm not saying like, Oh, I'm perfect. The other eight months out of the year. Absolutely not. But, uh, I mean, it's not like we just wake up every single day. Like, Oh, I'm going to go to work. I want to crack open a bang. No. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to, to our last question. Question number two. This comes from 
Sean Quinn, 1986. He says, what do you look for in the summer months that helps you pick early bow spots? That's a good one. That's a good question. Huh? So summer months, man, I'd, the first thing I'd look for, and it'd be kind of hard, but kind of tire tracks. Like if, if we're driving to a new spot, let's say this is a new WMA. Is he talking about like a complete new spot? He's just saying, what do you look for in the summer months that help you pick an early bow spot? So like, what, what's the sign you look okay. for? Okay. So obviously I'm not going to preach about the, the human intrusion anymore. I don't know. I like to stay along water. That's, that's the number one thing. And I know you're like, you go pretty hard on those oxbows and stuff like that. But I've been listening to, I think his name's Parker McDonald or it could be Brandon McDonald. I don't like, I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's Parker. I got this from him listening to him and he says what you want to look for is X marks the spot, right? So deer are creatures of edge habitat, correct? Absolutely. So if you can find like a pine stand on one part that connects into, let's say the, the tall grass kind of like where we hunt or, uh, and then it goes into an oak flat, like kind of, and then on the other side, it's along a uh, creek bed or some sort of water source, or it's on like saddle of a ridge or something, you know, just the most diversity in a the, the smallest spot. I kind of try to look within there. And then within that area, you then you try to find sign. I know there's not probably going to be, as many rubs visible because i mean i don't think they're rubbing yet obviously uh but from the previous year's rubs they're going to be harder to see especially in the summer months all the foliage uh it's just going to be harder to see but you can still see scrapes you can maybe keep your eye out for those licking branches you know those little twisted almost fallen off uh look like somewhat chewed on branches about i'd probably say shoulder nose level with you uh you can keep your eye out for that and then obviously tracks if it's around like creek bed, little water hole. Uh, yeah, that's just something I try to try to look for. Yeah, you made a good point. Like the, the sign's going to be a little harder to come by in the summer because everything's grown up. And even if the deer, like I guess you could find trails where the paths are completely mowed down, but it seems like those mountain deer that we hunt a lot, they like they don't take the same trail every single time. Mm-hmm. So. I'm, I'm looking for definitive crossings if I'm scouting in the summer. So like creek crossings or mainly, mainly creek crossings or just natural contours in the land that like to bring you down to a pinch. So on some of the spots we hunt, like you might be hunting in a bowl and all of that bowl leads down to like a singular tree line that pinches down into like a bedding area or something like that. So I'm just looking for spots that are definitive crossings or pinches that I know deer are going to naturally use you can put your cameras out in these big vast landscapes and you might get a picture of one but i'm looking for the spots that pinch them down and really bring them to a really bring them to a smaller area and the odds of me getting a picture goes up quite a bit that's what i'm looking for or edges another edges is another one like if you have a very defined edge you can put a camera on an edge and the odds of that deer walking down that edge is 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 pretty good also uh just to add on depending on how often you think you're going to scout. Like, let's say uh, this is WMA. You're probably only going to scout once before you hunt it. Uh, 
the following season. When you're scouting and you think there's an area you know you want to hunt, especially if you have on X, because dude, if you don't have on X, like if I didn't have on X, I'd be lost. There ain't no way I'd make it a hundred yards off, off, off the road. But while you're hunting in there or uh, while you're scouting in there, if you find a good area and you know, you're really not going to be back to like give it a second look before season starts and you're just going to go in there and hunt, be sure to pick out a tree already, pick out a tree, walk right up to it, zoom in really close on on X, mark that specific tree because if you go in there one morning, opening morning, or your first time in there, like you can't see. So you don't really want like that. That sucks when you climb up a tree, get everything set up, and you're like waiting on daybreak, and all of a sudden it starts getting that gray light, and, and you start to realize it's like this is an awful tree. I have no no shooting lanes. I can't see dog out of this. So uh, that just be another tip. Just pick out a tree. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, I hope that answers your question. I think we're wrapping this one up. Number one, the first episode of the Public Land 101. That was fun. I enjoyed it. Short and sweet. Short, not short and sweet. That's almost an hour. Yeah, well, we spent 20 minutes BSing, so it's fine. That's fair. Well, uh, if you guys still want to help us out more besides listening to the podcast, uh, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and go check out that YouTube, uh, just Hunter's Advantage on YouTube. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Bye. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.